Hey, welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree? Let's have a conversation. I am thrilled to have a conversation with Rob Nadelson. You know him. He is with the Independence Institute's Constitutional Study Center. Uh, he's a former constitutional law professor. Uh, he's a nationally known constitutional scholar, author, uh, and many of his uh, uh, thoughts have been cited repeatedly at the U.S. Supreme Court, the Federal Appeals Court, and state Supreme Courts. Rob Nadelson, welcome to the Americhicks. It's thrilling to be back with you. It's always a treat to have you. Uh, and a couple of things. I want to talk about these red flag laws. You have this very important piece uh, that you just recently have written. And uh, before we do that, though, last week I found this astonishing that we had five Democrat senators that basically threatened the Supreme Court that said if they if they agreed to hear a specific case, that uh, these five senators were going to take actions to heal the court and restructure it. What's your thoughts about that, Rob Nadelson? Well, I think that if you or I submitted a brief like that, it probably would be dismissed for impertinence. Uh, it might be disallowed entirely. The fact that there are five U.S. senators who have done it makes probably the court more reluctant to do that. But it, it is an extraordinary document. It's basically a threat, as you say. Um, it, 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 it's a uh, couched in circumlocutions, in other words, circular language, but it's, it's not very couched, it's not very hidden, and and uh, refers, for example, to claims or suggestions that the court be increased in size or packed, um, has uh, very insulting comments about the support campaign that was launched to uh, support the nomination of people like Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Gorsuch. Uh, it, it has uh, uh, it, there's an attack on the Federalist Society, which is a conservative and libertarian group of lawyers, law professors, and law students, the, the largest uh, organization of its type in the country, next to the bar associations. And I, in fact, I'm a member of it as well. Uh, attacks us as essentially a un-American conspiracy. I mean, it just. But you know, it, it given the source, it doesn't really surprise me. Um, I've often thought that um, uh, Rhode Island Senator Sheldon Whitehouse is sort of over the edge. I, I think that I, I really question the guy's judgment at times, and this fits in that pattern. Okay, so is it something we should be concerned about, or just keep an eye on it, or what do you think? Well, um, that's a that's a tough one. A lot of people are concerned that Justice Roberts and perhaps Justice Kavanaugh, who spent their uh, formative years in D.C., might be affected or are being affected by what other people within the Beltway in Washington, D.C. think about them. There was a perception of a lot of people when Justice Roberts voted to uphold the Obamacare law. Um, my hope is they see through this for what it is and just disregard it. You know, uh, one thing I learned as a kid about bullies is that if you don't stand up to a bully, if you let him push, push you around, they're just going to make more demands. And I think there's a perception by people like Senator Whitehouse that they managed to bully um, Chief Justice Roberts into upholding Obamacare and into doing certain other actions. And so now they've upped the ante and they want to bully him more. Um, 
I, I think that the justices are smart enough to see that. So I'm not overly concerned, um, but it does say something about the individuals who submitted this brief. Okay, well said, well said. Let's move over here to this uh, recent piece that you've just done, and that is what history tells us about the purpose of red flag laws. And um, you said under pressure to do something about mass killing, some Republican politicians are following their Democrat counterparts by endorsing red flag laws. Uh, These laws authorize confiscation of firearms if a judge finds the owner poses a risk to himself or others. So walk us through this, uh, Rob Nadelson. Okay. Well, red flag laws, as you say, are um, laws that are designed to take guns out of the hands that pose a danger to themselves or others. Uh, That sounds like a good thing. The problem is that they involve the confiscation of property from people who have never been judged in never been judged incompetent uh, people who have never been convicted of any crime people who are not even accused of a crime and while that's bad enough all of the red flag laws that have been passed today there have been 17 of them I can't claim to have read all of them but I've certainly read uh, or or seen most of them and uh, from what I understand all of them contain constitutional defects Back in 1969, in a case called Act versus Family Finance, a case, by the way, that was considered a great victory for liberals, the U.S. Supreme Court said that uh, the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment requires states to adhere to certain standards if they want to, want to seize or freeze property. And one is that normally you have to give notice to the person whose property you're trying to seize and um, give that person an opportunity to be heard. Well, red flag laws generally don't do that. They uh, allow for property to be taken away for, let's say, 14 days, potentially even forever in Oregon, without a hearing at all. Um, Once a hearing occurs, throughout many of these laws, there are various shortcuts that that fall below what the courts have required under the Due Process Clause. Now, that's only one constitutional provision, but there's a good argument that the red flag laws also violate the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, um, the Sixth Amendment, (laughs) the Tenth Amendment, as well as the Fourteenth. Well, uh, spreading the wealth around on that one. You know, the due process was really the thing that I've I've come down on, and, and and uh, I remember reading the, I think it was the Broomfield City Council was debating on whether or not they would uh, pass a, a resolution in favor of Colorado's red flag law or not. And I was just astonished as I read this. The deputy police chiefs, they asked him about the danger of police officers going to someone's home to confiscate weapons. Now, again, this person may not even know that that they're coming, that they've been accused that that the that they're a danger, and so they might not even know that. And there would be danger to police officers if they came and knocked on somebody's door and said, "Hey, we're taking your firearms." And uh, so, one of the city council people asked this uh, deputy police chief. And he said, well, ideally, we'd really like to uh, go and and take the weapons when the person's at work. So let's think about that, Rob. I mean, there is uh, there's no warrant from what I can tell. There's no due process. The person's gone to work. They don't even know 
that they've been um, accused that they might be a danger. They've gone to work. They come home and the police officers have been in their house and they've taken their stuff. I mean, that's really scary. Yeah, it is. And um, actually, there is kind of a warrant. I mean, the order signed by the judge without notice to the owner is is a kind of warrant. Some uh, red flag laws, as you would imagine, are better or worse than others in particular ways. In Connecticut, only the police can initiate this procedure. So if somebody thinks that somebody uh, that an owner of a firearm is a danger to himself or others, uh, that person has to go to the police and the police judge the case first before they take it to court. That's not true under the laws of Colorado, for example, or some other states. Uh, someone who is, you know, a former lover of the uh, of the owner, for example, can initiate this order immediately. And from what I under, understand, uh, in other states that apply these laws, the judges pretty much just go along and, and, and issue the order without much showing because if something does happen right. later, they don't want, want to be accused of not of not uh, issuing the order. So they're always going to, or almost always going to side against uh, the gun owner, who again, isn't even in court to defend himself. Now, uh, a listener may say to himself, you know, why do I care? I mean, guns are dangerous instrumentalities, and uh, and, and I don't own a, own a gun, it really doesn't bother me. Well, do you own a smartphone? Uh, smartphones can be used um, to threaten people, they can be used uh, to spread violence, uh, to spread spread, uh, spread hatred. Um, in other words, they can be used to avoid to abuse the uh, First Amendment, just like uh, guns can be used in a way that abuses the Second Amendment. Well, suppose a a, um, a neighbor or a disaffected former lover uh, go, swears out an affidavit to the to a court claiming that you've been sending hate messages and the police come to your house when you're there or not there and they take away your smartphone you know they just take it from you no notice nothing i mean that's a very comparable kind of violation and it's a little easier for people to understand if if you're if you're addicted addicted to smartphones okay we're going to go to break but when we come back in this piece that you've recently written you said something about uh, that that the advertised purpose is not really what is happening there. I'd like you to break sure. that down because that's that's a pretty unique explanation. Boy, I'm having a Monday morning here. Explanation <laughs> about red flag laws. Uh, we're talking with Rob Nadelson. Uh, we'll be right back. Let's uh, talk to Rob Nadelson about this really important piece that you have uh, about red flag laws. And uh, you'd mentioned that the advertised intent of red flag laws is one thing, but uh, actually, uh, when when we find out what's what the results might be from red flag laws, uh, there's really something else going on, right, Rob? Yeah. I, before answering that, I just wanted to make one point uh, that I think might be important for people to understand. There is now talk about. Um, federal intervention, as if we needed yet another federal program to tell the states what to do. Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina has a bill, uh, which I guess is not quite filed yet, that would give grants to states to adopt what he considers the right kind of red flag laws. And I've listened to Senator Graham talk about this. He does seem to understand the due process concerns. One of the problem, how, problems, however, is that 
when you go in with a bill that has strict due process uh, protections, it's going to be attacked as insufficiently protective of people. It's going to be attacked as making it too hard to take guns away. And uh, experience with the legislative process, and I have quite a bit of it, uh, tells me that what what's going to happen is the advocates of due process are going to get rolled. That actually happened in Colorado in the last session. A lot of people were concerned about the fact that the original bill had no real provision uh, for a time limit to return people's um, guns once uh, an order had expired, no real provision for the return of uh, concealed carry permits. And so there were negotiations that went on, and the sponsors of the bill said, okay, well, well, we'll put those protections in. We'll put in deadlines for the return of guns and the return of concealed carry permits. Well, I happened to be studying the law about two weeks after it was passed, and yeah, they did put something in there, but they left two large loopholes uh, available so that the um, that law so that law enforcement or uh, the person who uh, brought the complaint can ensure that there is no real deadline for the return of concealed carry permits or uh, or, or the firearms. So the legislative process tends to work against those of us who are scrupulous of due process. Um, so there's a there, there's a real risk in passing, I think, any red flag law for this reason. Now. Um, we know that the real purpose of red flag laws is not, as they could say, gun safety, um, because there have been several studies of them, and the bottom line is they're not particularly effective. Uh, there is some evidence that they may reduce suicide a little bit. Uh, there's evidence they may increase rapes a little bit. There is one study that says... Be- because that why? Increase- because women can't protect themselves? Well, presumably because a would-be rapist can use the procedures to disarm his victim. Okay. Uh, and that's one of the great, great fears with these laws. Um, the, um, uh, the one study says they have no effect on suicides. In fact, they have no effect on crime rate at all, except for the slight increase in rate. rate. So why really are we promoting a law which does not have a proven track record of effectiveness, especially if it involves constitutional rights? And the inescapable answer is it's just another way to attack gun owners. Now, here's, here's the irony here, Kim. They chose the term red flag law, I think, in a historical ignorance. But if you do a little historical research, you find that the term red flag law is not new that for decades the term was proverbial for a law that is supposedly about safety but is really passed to uh, to accomplish other things. Do you want me Interesting. To that? Yes, do. Okay. Well, uh, back in the 19th century, there was another dangerous instrumentality, and a lot of people felt threatened by this dangerous instrumentality not because it was dangerous so much, but because it might put them out of business. <laughs> the dangerous instrumentality was called, ta-da, drum roll, the automobile. Mm. The automobile, we think of the automobile as an invention of the years just before 1900. But in fact, they were operating automobiles as early as 1803. And by the middle of the 19th century, or by the 1870s, certainly, there were steam-driven automobiles on the roads in Britain and America. Well, that was a very great threat, as you would imagine, to the stagecoach companies, right? 
could put them out of business. Mm-hmm. The horse raisers, people who sold horses for a living, uh, mostly farmers, that would put them out of business. The um, the, bu- the buggy manufacturers, the people who, who made uh, horse-drawn coaches, they were very concerned about that. Um, and so they got together and they convinced the British Parliament and some American states and American cities to pass laws. The most famous laws, um, first most famous of these laws was called the Locomotive Act because they were sometimes referred to as road locomotives, the Road Locomotive Act of 1865. And it imposed a sweeping regime of regulations on, um, uh, on automobiles. For example, no automobile could travel more than two miles an hour in town or more than four miles an hour on the highway. If any, uh, if any person uh, with a horse uh, ordered the, uh, uh, the, um, uh, the, the car to stop, it had to stop. Um, and the most notable requirement was that every car had to have a crew of at least three people, one of whom had to walk 60 yards ahead of the automobile with a red flag uh. to let people know coming. And so these laws, uh, which I mentioned were passed not just in Britain, but in America, were called red flag laws. And they were obviously not passed really for safety purposes. They were passed uh, to uh, benefit uh, people who felt uh, uh, they didn't want to compete with the automobile. So the red flag law term became proverbial for a law that is supposedly according to its owners, according to its promoters, all about safety, but is really passed for other purposes. So it is really, really ironic and interesting that uh, these, the, the advocates of the red flag laws, who obviously didn't know about anything about history, chose that name for their laws. Wow, this is such an interesting piece. I never realized that, and that's where the red flag law came from, that in essence they say one thing, but the intent is quite another. And so they hide behind, quote-unquote, safety regarding being able to take uh, uh, weapons, um, firearms from people without due process and under the guise of safety. And in essence, the real ultimate goal is to to uh, take the firearms of everyday law-abiding citizens. And you know, it's, it's you astonishing. Know, Kim, there's yeah. a, Go ahead. There's, there's, a, there's a coda or an ending to this story. Uh, probably the most outrageous example was a bill that passed the Pennsylvania legislature that provided that any automobile driver who came upon a horse or any other livestock had to get out of the automobile, disassemble the automobile, and hide the parts in the bushes until the horse passed. I mean, uh, the governor vetoed that law, but this shows you the lengths of the absurdity. But the fact is, these laws actually did slow the progress of the automobile. And so uh, instead of becoming really common, say, in the years around 1880 uh, or 1870, we, we had to wait until the laws were repealed. And then finally, uh, with the 1900s, the automobile was allowed to progress again. But it does show you how a nasty law like that can hold up progress, just like a modern red flag law could take uh, firearms away from the, the away from uh, vulnerable people, you know, people who 
uh, who really need them. Well, that's for sure. Hey, Rob Nadelson, thank you so much. And your book, The Original Constitution, What It Actually Said and Meant, is a great read. Thanks so much and uh, greatly appreciate it. That's Rob Nadelson.